0: hello and welcome to the Browns blitz today is Wednesday July 22nd and this is episode number 61. I'm your host Rod Bloom and with me today is uh first of all I'm gonna bring in Rachel Shepard back on the podcast Rachel how are things going for you it's been uh mm-hmm. been a few weeks
1: yeah it's been a it's been a little while you know got some things going on here just like everybody else in the country right now but we're doing okay
0: well, it, it's good to talk to you again. Yes, sir. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna bring in our guest. We have Daniel Kelly. Daniel is the author of Whatever It Takes. And Daniel, how are things going?
2: Hey, they're going pretty well, guys. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show today. I'm I'm down in Key West, Florida, uh, 90 miles away from Cuba. So I hope you can hear me okay.
0: <laughs> you sound good. You sound good. Good. Uh, I, I'm guessing the temperature is probably about the same down here as what we've been having up in Ohio, anyways. Mid nineties. Probably.
1: <laughs> yeah. probably closer to degrees of lava.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Yes. There, <laughs> definitely some. Definitely some humidity, and we've been going through a tropical depression for the last few days. So.
0: Mm. Well, I gave you a very brief introduction there, Daniel. There, there's the obviously
2: thing, so that's good. Because-
0: yeah, there's obviously a lot more uh, a lot more to you. So we're, we're going to dive in with questions. But first of all, I don't know with the company I'm, I'm with today. I know Rachel doesn't uh, doesn't drink alcohol. Um, I, I do. Uh, Daniel, I don't know if you do or not. If you if you're drinking anything, <laughs> even water at this point that you'd like to share with the audience.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I do drink alcohol, absolutely. Um, and but right now I'm drinking a Red Bull, a summer edition watermelon uh,
0: flavor. And how's that working for you? It's working. <laughs> it's keeping me awake. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Rachel, are you drinking water or anything or tea or? I'm drinking
1: any- my tea, my decaf tea.
0: <laughs> tea. Yep. That's right. Um, I, am drinking a, a, platform, new Cleveland. I haven't bought a whole lot of new beer. I'm just kind of drinking what I have in the fridge. You guys know, I have the legendary fridge out in the, out in the garage. So uh, I'm just trying to whittle it down a little bit before I go and, and, uh, go to the store and, and restock, but, um, everything by, uh, you know, everything by platform's good. So I thought a new Cleveland was apropos for tonight's guest and topic. So that's what I'm working on. Absolutely. We're going to do a quick shout-out to our sponsors so you can enjoy today's interview interruption-free. Be sure and check out t-shirthooligan.com or on Twitter you can go to at hooligan t-shirt. They've been making t-shirts for two years, guys. Go and check them out. They have new designs for the Browns, Ohio State, and lots of other teams. Go and check out their stuff and also you can check out Skipping Stones on Etsy.com and GoImagine.com. Two great places to go and check out gift ideas or purchases for yourself. Now we're going to get into the interview. Enjoy the podcast. So I tell you what, Daniel, you've been on an amazing journey and rather than have me just kind of talk about the journey and tell everybody what it's about and everything and, and your book and all that. I'm going to pass it to Rachel, who's going to ask you the first question, it, which kind of will get us into a discussion about several things that you've, that you've been through. So I okay. think that's just kind of the best way to kick it off tonight. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs>
1: All right, so when I was doing the research uh, about you, Daniel, I noticed that you are not only a survivor, but you're a thriver. And what I mean by that is, I I guess I identify with you a lot after doing all that research. And I noticed that you're a cancer survivor. You're, you know, a divorcee. You know, you just you just been through so much strife and strife and struggles that. When it came time for you, I don't even know, I don't know if it was the beginning of the struggles or near the end of your struggles that prepared you for the NFL and what you wanted to do when you wanted to be a scout. Do you think all of that, those issues that you had accumulated into one thing for you being able to do what you want to do today, which is get back into the NFL?
2: Uh, absolutely. A uh, great question, uh, Rachel. I think what it's done more than anything is it's given me this desire. Um, it, it's given me a perseverance. Uh, in my book, Whatever It Takes, on the back cover, it says a story of perseverance, a message of hope. And and it's really, um, you know, it, it's like going through a grilling training camp. It, it just really uh, propelled me even more in the direction of what God's will for my life is. And uh, it, it's definitely, uh, I think, prepared me for what's to come, Rachel.
1: I completely understand that, you know, there, I think a lot of us have been going through some things just lately, but if you add in all the stuff that you've been through, you know, and I'm not going to go into my full story, but I, I completely identify with what you have survived through and I just applaud you for that. And if it means having a higher being that's gotten you through it, that's even better because that means you have something higher on your side, you know?
2: Absolutely, Rachel, and kudos to you as well. What you've been through, I can tell just by the way you're framing the questions. That you've been through a lot too, and <laughs> and, and most of us have uh, been through things. in life, you know, it just depends. Um, you know, the pain is pain, and trials are trials, and uh, I'm sure you've been through things, God, you know and all our listeners, and just a matter of just sometimes putting one foot in front of another and just getting to go. That's usually half the battle. Now, how
1: do you think that translates to the NFL?
2: As far as I'm sorry?
1: How do you think that translates to the NFL?
2: Uh, the perseverance, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, a, it's, a, it's you know, in the capacity I was trying to go for the Cleveland Browns is, is perseverance is one of the most important <laughs> traits that, 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 a, that a general manager I feel can have and a team can identify with and become the team's identity is what do you do when times get tough? What do you do when you're behind on the scoreboard? How, how are you going to respond to adversity? How are you going to respond to personal adversity? You know, football players are are people, too, and so are coaches and so are front office executives. And life happens to all of us. Uh, People die. People get sick. Things happen all around us. We always have, you know, like I've heard a pastor say once, there's two kinds of people in this room, those who are going... And those are are, are are going to be going through storms. <laughs> you know, so, yes. so, uh, I, I think that, you know, to be the captain of a ship, whether, you know, hopefully be the Cleveland Browns someday or whoever. I, I think that, you know, having the ability and having the experience to persevere through anything life has to offer can only be a benefit to a team that take on that identity. Uh, because the season is grueling. Uh, the injuries can mount up. Uh, You know, you can be challenged quite a bit. I mean, these professional athletes can be challenged to the core of who they are. You know, maybe they were a star as a kid, star in high school, star in college. Welcome to the NFL. There's a lot of times Mm -hmm. these guys can go through adversity in the league. And knowing how to persevere through that adversity is something I think that I could definitely bring to the table in that capacity.
1: I totally understand that.
0: I want to hear about your experience with with Tony Dungy and the and the minnesota vikings and kind of uh, put that in a uh, time frame for me with with your uh when you when you dealt with your uh, divorce and cancer and everything
2: well absolutely uh right well that was before the divorce and the cancer that, that was kind of like a preseason game
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> was, okay
2: absolutely it, it was prior to all those things happening all that happened during my time in the nfl with the jets this is backing up a few years prior to that, probably three, four years prior to that, uh, when I was about 20 years old. So this is going back probably about 1995. I, I barely passed through high school because I was so focused on football, Rod, I, I dropped out with a small community college, too focused on football, went to work for Allstate Insurance. And I was sitting there one night uh, going ahead telemarketing for insurance leads. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you guys have it up there. Most places do. Sort of like a sports radio show like a station you guys have one of those up there? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. so on on the uh on the station and all of a sudden telemarketing for insurance leads and they say the first thirty two callers, call in now, you'll represent a team on the air, come on out to Minnesota Vikings headquarters. That's where I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, bring a friend you'll be on the air so I had nine open phone lines so I started dialing um and I was the second caller on this sports radio show and they said congratulations you represent the Jacksonville Jaguars on the air and, and so I, I, I took a friend went out there took a bunch of my summary reports I had done when I was a teenager uh you know just in case and I ended up in the Minnesota Vikings headquarters in Eden Prairie Minnesota and I was you know walked up to the microphone and I was scared to death of public speaking at that point and, and, you know, that, like, just like the NFL commissioner says, and with the uh, second pick in the 1995 draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select. And I stepped into the microphone and said, Tony Boselli, offensive tackle, USC. And all oh, the corner of my eye, I could see Tony Dungy sitting over there in the corner when he was, you know, the defensive coordinator of the Vikings. And I approached Coach Dungy and I said, hey, I introduced myself. I said, hey, would you be willing to take a look at some of my scout reports? He said, you know, after a few minutes of looking through the reports, He said, you know, this stuff is pretty good. How would you feel about coming to my office next week? And we could sit down and I could pull out my old reports from the Kansas City Chiefs. We could pull out some Blesto reports. We could compare notes. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'll be sick for work that day. And he laughed. And, uh, you know, the next Wednesday I went in there and sat down with Coach Dungey. And that turned into be a a weekly meeting with him, an unpaid internship for the next six months. Um, And then he left for the head coaching job at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I went back into the real world serving, serving, selling uh, a Kirby vacuum vacuum cleaners rather uh, door to door.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you go from working with, with Tony Dungy to, to, to being out of football. Being out of football.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was, you know, being, an amazing experience uh just talking with him uh, he was really cool to work with um uh, you know it, it's the things he taught me a very level-headed uh very uh, uh very uh, all business uh you know really uh, took a liking to me and i'm very thankful for my days talked a little bit about faith in god uh, to me i'm uh, very thankful for the time i had a chance to spend with coach Donji. it was definitely a memory of a lifetime
0: yeah so uh so you you did other things for a while and then uh, tell us tell us about the Tell us about Wayne Corbett and, and when you had this idea to to market yourself to all the teams. This was kind of the precursor to the to the Jets job. And it, it, it's kind of amazing just the numbers and what you put together and what you did in order to to get that position.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Rod. Great question. Um, You know, I'm I'm sitting, you know, I I went through all these personal struggles. I sold sold Kirby vacuum cleaners for a while. Um, You know, it ended up uh, going through a real personal uh, uh, crisis of a sorts. Um, I went through a really bad breakup. Uh, I got evicted from my apartment, got my vehicle repossessed, uh, went through all my savings, was going to a different bar every night, drinking, drinking everything I could find, get my hands on trying to find the answer at the bottom of every bottle, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I ended up uh, starting to date somebody else. And I ended up finding myself at Bank of America Mortgage as a loan officer at 23, 24 years old. And I'm sitting in a real estate law, and nothing against real estate, but it bored me to tears. And I started having these thoughts, uh, Rod and Rachel and our listeners, that, you know, what am I doing here? I mean, my dream is to be an NFL scout. I- I- I've got to go for it. I've got to give it at least one last chance. It's better to go for it and not get it than to wonder always what could have been, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting there and, and all these ideas come to my mind. I got a little satellite dish. I can stop at Target, buy some pens and papers. So I did that. Uh, went home, called TV, subscribed to their college football package. Um, and I just started, you know, recording games, college football games, and looking at every single senior football player I could get my hands on. Well, I moonlighted as a scout every night, evaluating players. I worked at the bank as a loan officer all day, and, and I did this for seven months. Well, to your point, Rod. Uh, one night, there's a there's a you know I, about two o'clock in the morning. I'm in this old rundown duplex in Northeast Minneapolis. There's mouse droppings on the floor. I mean, it was really bad you know, part of town, bad place. And I'm sitting there, and, and 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 all of a sudden there there's this you know I, I get these pizza rolls about two a.m. And um, all of a sudden there's a special to your point, Rod about Wayne Corbett, um, on ESPN. I mean, timing is everything in life, right? I mean, if I don't yeah. see this special, this doesn't give me the idea. And, and on this special, it talks about how Wayne Corbett's dad, uh, Wayne Corbett was an undrafted free agent receiver out of Hofstra University in New York on Long Island. And his dad sent all the highlight tapes of his son to every team in the NFL. And, um, you know, basically to, to try to get his son an opportunity. Well, of course, Corbett goes on to play for the Jets. I'm watching this and then. It was really a light bulb moment, uh, Rod and Rachel, kind of like the little epiphany you know, on the cartoons where, where the little you know thing goes Ding. above the head.
0: <laughs> <You> yeah. <know>? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: and I and I'm like I'm like that's it. I, I've never tried to get in with all the teams in the NFL because up until that point, guys, I was planning on just sending my reports off to my childhood team, the Washington Redskins, and uh, giving it one last chance with them. So I, you know, Wayne Corbett's story kind of inspired me to send out my, my three ring binders. Uh, That probably wouldn't work. Uh, My buddy at the bank the next day, Bank of America, said, you know, why don't you get your work self-published into a book form? I'm like, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, start calling publishers. So I called all these printing presses from Minneapolis to St. Paul. One guy liked the idea, and he said, I tell you what, uh, I like what you're trying to do, Dan. Uh, Come on in. He sat down with me. He said, listen, what you're trying to do, he said, it's going to be about 85,000 sheets of paper, which is the equivalency of three trees. And it's going to cost $2,300, uh, basically, which was all the money I had in savings, plus my next two paychecks. And uh, the idea was to put all these scouting reports together and all my handwritten notes to prove that I'd done the work and basically make a book out of it, which which ended up happening was a 350-page NFL draft book, which I personalized to every GM, head coach, and director, of player personnel in the NFL. And uh, basically, that was my resume. You know, and I I. I, I Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I worked relentlessly. I was getting 10, 15 hours sleep a week. I was falling asleep at my desk at work, but I was going to go for it. I mean, my philosophy with the Cleveland Browns, what I told Mr. Haslam is if I got a chance to run the Cleveland Browns, I wasn't going to have a punter on my roster. I'm going to go for it every fourth down. That's my philosophy on life. Uh, Forge when Joe Gibbs went for it on fourth and one in Super Bowl Seventeen and handoff to John Rickens when I was eight years old is what inspired me. It's been my life philosophy to go for it, push all the chips on the table, let's roll. And so I did that. I put out this book there, you know, three copies. I I, I spent the hundred dollars for that. I, I got a credit account with Airborne Express, and all three copies to every team in the league out uh, overnight mail because the only way to get something in the right hands is to have it arrive looking official. And and I sent it out with no guarantees. Well, the first team that calls was the Saints. You know, they were excited. My Ditka was excited about the book. You know, they said they might have a position open as a as a, as a Midwest scout for the Saints. Um, I was in cloud nine. I said, that's where I'm going. Uh, that fell through a couple of weeks later when one their senior evaluators disagreed with some of my evaluations. I was heartbroken. And my same friend, Michael Williams at the bank I told you guys about, you know, the guy that suggested I get that book printed in the book form, him said, hey. You know, somebody with as much passion is going to call you as my i I'm like, All right, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm thinking I'm at the bank. I mean, I'm, I'm working in a cubicle. I mean, who can relate to that? Right. And, and I'm yeah. I'm, I, I'm sitting in a call center in a bank and, 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 and sure enough, the next day, my phone, my pager goes up and says, please call Scott Bioli at the New York Jets. I call him. Uh, they 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 liked the book. They said, you know, Bill Parcells has got a position open in the pro personnel, you know, pro scouting department. Would I be interested? I was like, heck, yeah, I'd be interested. So, you know, long story short, they had me out there for an interview, two-day marathon interview, which I interviewed. I saw Parcells. Uh, Bilicek was on staff then. Uh, we all remember him, of course, Browns fans. Yeah. Um, you know, Eric Mangini was our defensive backs coach. At Romeo Cornell was our defensive line coach. I mean, it was a star-studded staff. I mean, the guy I first interviewed with when my first um, you know, hour at the interview was Dick Haley, the guy that orchestrated and built the Pittsburgh Steelers dynasty of the 70s. Um, you know, so was an intense two-day interview process, I ended up getting the job. Uh, they extended the offer to me a week later. In my first month on the job, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the wanker bad conclusion here. Uh, my first month in a job, I was diagnosed with the testicular cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know it was it was it was shocking. It was it was I, I, my life flashing in front of my eyes. I thought I was literally going to die because I'd always you know associate cancer with death. And um, you know so so there I am. And uh, you know I went through two major surgeries. It just so happened. I you know I always wonder why the Jets, why not the Saints, why not the Seahawks, you know, why not the Browns. It's because actually uh, in New York, they had Sloan Kittering Hospital, which was the best cancer hospital in the world for testicular cancer. And because I know, you know, I'm working for the team, I had NFL Flex Insurance, which was the best health insurance you could have in the country. And, the, and our team doctor was friends with Dr. George Basel, who was a world famous, ran two books about testicular their cancer, BOSL was his last name. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, because I was with the doctor, I got to the top of the waiting list and he did his surgery. I was on the table for eight hours in, in Manhattan there. Um, they opened me up. I have a 12-inch incision for my sternum all the way down, 75 staples to, to seal me back up. And that first yeah. season, we won the division. And I wasn't going to miss any time. The doctor said, hey, you may want to sit on a few months. I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. Uh, so I made it back a month after that eight-hour surgery. And we won the division that year. The Jets won the division. was the first div- uh, title of any sort for the Jets in 29 years. We made the playoffs. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. We're going to the playoffs. So here I am. I got a chance to go to the Jaguars playoff game. And this is the conclusion of the story, this segment of it, is I'm, I'm, I'm taking the team bus to the Meadowlands, uh, you know, with the police escorting, you know, into the stadium. I sit down, watch the game. You know, the Jets win. We beat Tom Coughlin's Jacksonville Jaguars. So pick, you know, up in the sign, it says I talk about this in my book, whatever it takes. You know, it's flashing the AFC championship game up next. And I'm sitting there, you know, 78,000 Jets fans, right? People are going crazy. The confetti's coming down. All this stuff is happening. And all of a sudden, this guy, and 78,000 people the stadium, right? And and this guy turns around. He said, that was a heck of a game, huh? And I said, yeah, it really was. I said, uh, you know, I said, by the way, I said, my name is Dan Kelly. I'm a spell with the Jets. He said, "Uh, my name is Wayne Corbett Sr.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
2: 78,000 people. Wow. The guy that inspired me to write this book and do all this stuff, you know, back in Minnesota months before, his story about him and his son inspired me to do this. They got me a job at the Jets. And I was 78,000 people. That's the one guy sitting directly in front of me at the stadium.
1: That's insanity. That's yeah.
2: so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's wow. So, yeah, that's, you- a, that's the winker Krabetz go go ahead I'm sorry rachel
1: that's okay that's okay I was just gonna ask you I know that the jets went 12 and four that year you know from the research that I did do you think you're partially responsible for that record
2: uh, I, on this show I am sure absolutely <laughs> 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 hey, 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 hey hey guys when, when, when I got out to new york one of the problems was like, i i thought there was two people that ran the jets I found out with just one it was Phil Parcells.
0: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love it <laughs> Wow. That's insane. But but I did
2: I did play a role. I mean the, the answer to answer your question all seriously, yeah. Rachel. My my most my most defining moment I'm most proud of during my time in the Jets, and I talked about this again in my book, Whatever It Takes. Uh, you know, I, 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 that we were right before the AFC championship game, right after that that encounter with Wayne Corbett Sr., right? And, and we're getting ready to play the Denver Broncos, and Mike Shanahan was the head coach of the Broncos at the time. And, and I started having these ideas because it was well known throughout the league that, you know, Bill Walsh and his disciples always scripted the first 15 plays of every game offensively. Have you guys heard that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So I thought to myself, you know, Ron, rate and says, I thought there's got to be these ideas, just like the ideas that start going through my mind about doing that draft book back, you know, before I got in the league, these ideas just start coming to my mind again out of nowhere. And, and I start having these thoughts that there has to be some kind of rhyme or reason, some kind of pattern, uh, some kind of, you know, some kind of logic behind the first 15. Play uh, scripting that Shanahan did. So I pulled out all the Denver Broncos play-by-plays, all the Denver Broncos season, you know, games, and I started charting on Excel spreadsheet the first fifteen plays. And I said, okay, here's play one through fifteen. Then the second game, you know, I did, you know, here's play one through fifteen. And I started to notice that I did each game of the season that the first game Shanahan did the first fifteen plays, and then in game number two, he started with the second play on the chart and went to the bottom and worked the way to the top. Game three, same thing, he went to the bottom, worked his way back to the top of the list, four, five, six, seven, eight games. Then he worked his way back up the staircase, so there was a definite pattern. And then the, the, the wild card game matched the play scripting, get this, of the first regular season game. The play scripting in the second game, the divisional playoff game for Denver, matched the regular second regular season game. So I knew it. I knew I had the first 15 plays of Denver that they're going to run against us in the ALC championship game. I worked all night, put together a big report, put, cut up a tape, put all this stuff on paper, ran into Eric Mangini's office, who was our defensive backs coach, before they left on the plane for Denver. And I said, I, I, Coach Mangini, Coach Mangini, I know the first 15 plays that Mike Shanahan's going to run against us at the championship. Like, How do you know that? And I sat down and explained it just like I was talking to you guys. And of course, uh, you know, I watched the first 15 games, you know, plays unfold of at, at, at that AFC title game against John Elway and Mike Shanahan. And sure enough, I was watching the game actually at Linda Leone's house, who was Bill Parcell's secretary. We we're all set to go to the uh, Super Bowl. You know, Will Smith's song, Going to Miami, was on. Uh, Leon <laughs> Hess, the owner of the, the Jets, said, you know, we're going to, you know, charter a plane for sure enough, the first 15 plays I predicted 100% accurately of what Denver was going to run the championship game unfortunately we had a couple fumbles a couple bad breaks we lost the game Mancini came back from the championship game and he flipped me a hundred dollar bill in his office he called me in his office and said hey uh, you know Bill just really appreciates your al- efforts to help us win and he flipped a hundred dollar bill at me and said uh, keep up the good work
1: now do you think it's because you're a numbers guy or a patterns type guy that it helped you recognize those 15 plays
2: Absolutely. I, I mean, if, if given a long enough time, if I stare stumping long enough, I'll, I'll figure out a pattern. Every single man-made system has a pattern to it and a loophole. You just have to find out what it is.
1: That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you don't want to watch a couple of Brown seasons and just figure out what we did wrong last season?
2: Well, I, 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 put some of that in the proposal to Mr. Haslam, I wrote a 166 page proposal to him. I saw that outline outline <laughs> the whole thing. Absolutely. So, but yeah, there's definitely patterns and tendencies, everything. And, uh, you know, that's a big reason I think Bill hired me, uh, because he recognized some of those things inside of me, you know, early on. I mean, I've had years to reflect on this and, and, uh, you know, that's kind of the conclusion to your point, Rachel.
1: Absolutely.
0: So Daniel, you've, you've, uh, you've worked with some of the, some of the greatest coaches. I mean, uh, um, you know, they've been around the last, what, whatever, 10, 20, 30 years. So uh, you have kind of given your thoughts on Tony Dungey, um, tell, just tell us a little bit about Bill Parcells, uh, Bill Belichick and some of the other guys, um, you know, what, uh, kind of what, what stood out about, about these guys to you, you know, either what made him great or, you know, or, or, uh, what, what your thoughts were about them at the time, because, I mean, obviously Bill was, a uh, Bill was a, uh, you know, he, he wasn't even a head coach yet at that point. So kind of kind of just kind of give us your thoughts on some of those coaches that you're working with before they moved on to become head coaches.
2: Absolutely, Rod. Um, you know, it, it was incredible being around these guys. It was surreal. Um, in fact, being around them, you know. When I was in my interview, uh, Bill Parcells walked in the uh, my office where I was typing up a scouting report that they asked me to do as part of my interview, and he walked in the room and he says, um, "Hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm I'm Bill Parcells." <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. "Yeah,
0: yeah, yes, you like, are.
2: Yeah, yes, I, yes I, you I, are. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm like you are. I'm like you're the guy that used to dump Gatorade over the over your head, and, and he <laughs> laughed. You know? and I'm like, of course <laughs> I know who you are. There's no introduction necessary, right?" Um, you know, and it was incredible because, you know, that was my first impression of Parcells. Of, of um, a matter of fact, my interview with the Jets came down to me sitting across from Bill Belichick. And, um, you know, I, I had to convince him to hire me, uh, basically. And, uh, you know, I looked him dead square in the eyes. And, and, you know, my claim to fame kind of in life is, is I closed Bill Belichick and convinced him to hire me. Uh, he asked me point blank, he said, You know, what would an opportunity mean? He was staring at me, you know, just like he does. You see him on the sideline with the hood on. Uh, he was staring at me at, 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 in, the, in this office, and he said, You know, what would an opportunity mean to you, you know, Dan, you know, to be in the NFL? And I said, It would mean everything, coach. Everything. I said, I will do whatever it takes to succeed here. And he just stared me in the eye, kind of like a, one of us blanked, and neither of us said anything. He said, "Okay, well, you know, thank you for coming out here, you know, and and then so that was my first impressions with Parcells and Billichek, you know, what it was like, uh, you know, Rod and Rachel and Browns fans to work with those guys, it was incredible. I mean, if you've ever seen the movie The Godfather, right? <laughs> 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 that, that's 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 Bill Parcells to a T. Uh, you know, he commands respect everywhere he goes, everywhere he walks around the building. Uh, he was always extremely friendly, extremely good to me." Um, you know, he taught me one thing. He sat down at lunch with me one day and said, you know, if there's one thing you do here, Dan, uh, with the Jets, learn the critical factors of scouting, uh, which are the intangible characteristics that they look for in, in, in players and prospects. Um, you know, so Bill Parcells was always very good to me. Um, uh, uh, Coach Belichick, my first month on the job, he, he let me use his his minivan uh, to go look for a place to live. we on Long Island. Uh, he was always great towards me as well. Chance to sit in some of his defensive meetings. I have a copy of Belichick's playbook with my house, um, you know. So it was just, it was just really cool. And, and kind of what you see in Belichick in press conferences that that's what he is in person. He's he's extremely meticulous. He's very monotone. He's very businesslike. He's very to the point. He's very, very focused. And and like like my mentor Lionel Vitel, who's now the, the college director at the um, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he was Bill uh, most trusted and, and, and uh, you know scout with the Patriots for the first three Super Bowls. You know he's taught me that you know where some scouts, you know, you know some coaches rather would have maybe plan A, B, and C, uh, Bill Belichick has plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. He's always one step ahead of everybody else. Uh, extremely organized. Uh, you know the department went on to become NFL executive a decade for his work. Um, you know, ran like a wild oil machine. So so Belichick's very meticulous, very organized, very focused, very to the point. Um, you know, the thing about Parcells really that, you know, people don't really I don't know if people think of it or not, but but Bill Parcells, you know, a lot of the great coaches of all time, they're kind of known for a system, you know, whether it's Bill Walsh with the West Coast or you know, it, it's you know Buddy Ryan with the 46 or you know, Eric Coryell or or Joe Gibbs with the counter tray or offensive stuff. You know, these coaches are known for something. Well, what Uh Bill Parcells is, is he's a visionary. Bill Parcells is a guy that can, if he sees characteristics, he doesn't care if you got experience or not, the necessary characteristics, which he met Charlie Weiss, of course, the coach who went on to Notre Dame and all that. Uh, He was our staff, too. He met him at a health club. You know, so if he sees the characteristics in you that you have what it takes to succeed, he'll hire you. He'll bring you in there. And uh, he's a he's a master delegator. Parcells is a master delegator, a visionary, a guy. That's what he's kind of known for. And, uh, you know, a bill is just a guy that's just all about strategy. And he's all about finding a competitive edge. And I learned those things from those guys.
0: That's yeah, that's that's it's amazing. To, I mean, that that staff is legendary and you were right there in the middle of it. So that's really that's really cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm it's
1: just still good. curious. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, I'm sorry, Rachel. It's been said to be the greatest
2: staff in NFL history.
1: I was just curious because I think, uh, yeah, well, I was thinking about Belichick, you know, and I I personally, I have issues with him, (laughs) but that's just me. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, so is he such a hard ass as as he, you know, seems to be? I mean, you're describing this man that just seems like a, a figment of my imagination at this point. You know, and well, it's, it's like, okay, you know, what is he really I mean, is he really like that? Is he not such a hard ass?
2: Yeah, he gives off an impression maybe. Um, but yeah, he he's a great guy inside the building. Um, you know, he was always super good to me. I mean, both both Big Bill and Little Bill is in order around the building, Garcellus and Belichick. Yeah both were great towards me. Um, you know, a case in point, um, you know, uh, you know, when when you know, kind of flash forwarding you had, you know, I had my you know, I went through my testicular cancer, um, you know, and um, I had a little girl, you will know, be able to have children, probably had a little girl named Bailey Hope named after Champ Bailey in 1999, October 16th. And, uh, you know, and, and so she had 15 months old. She's diagnosed with cancer. Long story short, she goes, one, um, you know, and, and I got back, we had two funeral services for my daughter. She was two years old when she passed. And, uh, you know, I, the first service was in New York. Uh, by this time, Bilichek and Pioli and, and Charlie, you know Weiss and, and, and uh, Eric Mangini and Cornell and all those guys. Coach Cornell, uh, you know, they were off in New England. And when I got back from from my daughter's funeral service, I, we had her body flowing back to Minnesota, where I'm a And I opened, it, and it was a condolence card. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. It was a condolence card uh, from from the New England Patriots, and, um, oh, and and everybody with the Patriots signed the card including uh, uh, Bill Belichick. And there was a check from Bill in there and uh, from, from Eric Mangini and from Scott Pioli and from coach Cornell and coach Mangini. And um, it was really touching. It was really, it was really touching. And uh, you know, it was just something that, you know, was just a, a, a beautiful touch. And uh, so, yeah, there's a real, there's a real human side to these guys. Uh, it's not all just wearing the hood and cutting off the sleeves <laughs> um, you know, they definitely rallied behind me when, when I needed it most. And, you know, it was probably five, $6,000, uh, you know, they put together, you know, oh. for, for Bailey's Memorial card and expenses and stuff. And, and it was just, it was just a beautiful touch. It was a beautiful thing they did. And, um, you know, I later come to find out, you never, you remember the linebacker, Brian Cox at all.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, the guy that wears helmet backwards, the guy that was really kind of, yeah. you know, the advanced study was kind of a, <laughs> a, kind of a, you know, a difficult guy, you know, a rebel I come to find out it was Brian Cox's idea to put the card together. He went around collecting all the money. Eric Mancini told me that the combine a couple of years later. And uh, so, yeah, what we always see on TV about these guys isn't necessarily, you know, what they really are. And you'll never know that, you know, to your point, Rachel, you would never know that unless you were in those situations because the media does have kind of a you know, they, they, they want to try to get, you know, try, he's always looking for competitive advantages. So the media kind of does a little bit to kind of illustrate and color what they want him to be, the narrative they want him to be, but behind closed doors. And so I don't blame you for the perspective that you have behind closed doors. The guy is really, really a good guy. He went way, way out of his way to help me.
1: That's really cool. I think that's really awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, we, we have, uh, we have views of all these guys and obviously it's the NFL. So we all have our teams and we all root against other teams and we get to we grow to, quote unquote, hate other teams and other, you know, coaches or whatever. But we, we hate them as, as, you know, as rivals and stuff. And, hmm. and we should all remember that they're that they're also human beings and that we don't we don't know them, um, you know, and most of these most of these guys are pretty darn good people. A lot of them do a lot of good things, you know, outside of football. So um, I I love the fact that you pass that story along. Um, You know, I, I, again, I I know we can't imagine, I can't imagine what you went through, but um, the fact that they all, um, you know, were there and and, uh, stepped up, you know, at a time that was very, very difficult for you, um, you know, that's, that's when you really see a character, you know, out of people so um yeah so that that's tremendous so Absolutely. let's let's um, i was gonna say you you had your uh, you had a four-year run with the jets uh rather than rather than uh talking about how that ended and all that stuff i mean you had, you had four years in the nfl um you know so so i imagine that's you know uh something that you look back on, look back on often. Um, I know you probably <laughs> were working so hard. Um, I think in, in a lot of the research I did, you talked about how uh, how quickly that period of time went, but I'm mm-hmm. sure you look back at all of that very fondly.
2: Absolutely, Rod, I do. It was an amazing four years in New York. I mean, it was, um, you know, you guys do a great job interviewing. I mean, you're definitely, definitely bringing back a lot. A lot in my heart and 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 just a lot of emotion it, it was for me personally it, it was an incredible experience uh to be around all those guys to have a ch- chance to be in the you know, after being such a fanatic and, and being a fan and having that opportunity i mean you know they had a stack of resumes from guys from you know ivy league schools from dartmouth and yale and harvard and everything else and they they, they called me on and, and, and they you know paid for all my stuff to be moved out there and You know, really did a a lot for me and and just all the things I was exposed to. I mean, so I was at a practice where Lawrence Taylor, the great Lawrence Taylor attended. Uh, Joe Namath walked past, you know, the office I was, you know, working in Bill Belichick's office one day. Joe Namath walked past me. Um, You know, I was at the NFL scouting combine. I got a chance to uh, walk right by the end zone down by the field and the old RCA dome in Indianapolis and walk right past Bill Walsh. Um, I sat in the stands next to L Davis and Eric Dickerson watching practice. Um, You know, I met my childhood hero, John Riggins, at a Jets practice. Um, You know, I was just around everybody who's anybody in the National Football League at the combine. I attended four straight NFL scouting combines in Indianapolis. Um, you know, so it's an amazing experience to be around the inner workings of a team, to have a chance to see how it all runs, to have a chance to feel it all, to have a chance to experience it all, They have a chance to really learn from the, you know, really some of the very best who have ever done this uh, was a tremendous blessing, tremendous privilege. When I look back at it, I mean, um, you know, it's just, I mean, the kind of guys, I mean, it just, I mean, we all know the names that we talked about, but just the young guys I broke into the league with, uh, you know, our names that everybody would probably know who follows the game, uh, you know, I broke into the game. I, I actually, uh, um, I was, I was hired, uh, you know, two years after I was hired, Brian uh, uh, Gain, who's a former general manager of the Houston Texans, was hired. Um, I worked with him. I worked with um, uh, Trent Baalke, came in the year after I was there, who was a 49ers uh, uh, for a while there. Um, you know, I worked, I trained in Chris Shea, who's a director of pro personnel right now into his position with the Jets when he first started with us. Um, I worked with Jojo Wooden, who's a director of player personnel out with the Chargers. Um, you know, just the young guys. I mean, everybody in the team basically has gone on to great things to run teams or run departments. Um, you know, so I really have really opportunity privilege and a blessing to learn from some of the greatest collection of minds who have ever done this before and we we'll all see what you know new england went on to do and, and really billichek being hailed as the greatest coach in nfl history now you know being around hall of fame guys like that and, and also it'd be remiss of me not to talk about dick haley um who has uh, you know built like i said all four super bowl teams They're all you know all the championship teams with pittsburgh throughout the 70s he was scott Pioli's boss so he was my boss's boss uh, you know, he's a guy that drafted Minjo Green, Terry uh, Bradshaw, Lynn Swan, you know, all his Falworth, all those guys, uh, Jack Lambert, all those guys we see NFL films, uh, uh-huh. you know, he was, he was, you know, just down in the hallway. Uh, so it was a tremendous opportunity to really just kind of be, um, you know, just be immersed in that culture and really learning what it takes to, to succeed at the highest of levels in the NFL. And of course, as a fan being around all the rest of the stuff, all the guys I mentioned, and all the superstar players, and, and, and you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I just became friends a couple months ago with Marvin Jones, the old linebacker from the Jets. He remembered me, like, like, oh, yeah, I remember you from, you know, back when he was a linebacker, you know, from FSU. Um, you know, so, so, I was there with Curtis Martin, and when the first person I met when I walked in the building. Curtis Martin extended his hand to me and said, welcome to the team. I mean, just an incredible opportunity to be around, uh, you know, the NFL, which is the thing I'd
0: always dreamt about being a part of since I was a kid. So tell me this how long were you working for the Jets before you felt like you made the transition from fan to NFL scout <laughs> in your own mind that is I mean obviously your first day on the job you're you're working in the NFL but but I mean you were a fan so how how long was it before you actually felt like 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 you were there and you belong there and this is who you were. I never did. Never did. <laughs> I never did. It was interesting, Rob, because, you know, I
2: got out of the league. I was out there from 1998 to 2002. And uh, when I was out of the league about 10 years later, I had, I got a call to Blue and I ended up in a situation where um, I had a chance to speak for Sports Management Worldwide. Um, on their scouting expert panel as, as part of their panel in Indianapolis in front of the auditorium, you know, like a room at the Hyatt Regency, about three 400 students uh, who wanted to become scouts or coaches or get involved in the game. And I remember walking through Indianapolis after I got done speaking that day, and, and I said to this young guy, I was, I was rooming with this young guy that one of my buddies knew at the hotel. And I said, You know, something I said, I really, you know, it's weird. I said, You know, it was the day I met Andy Reid, and I almost got hired by the Eagles at that punch. And I remember talking to coach Reed that day when we were with the Eagles and my my friend, this stuff walking through the streets kind of was a kind of a, a a wintry day. Um, You know, I'm walking through Indianapolis with a suit on it's 10 years after I was out of the league. And I turned to my buddy and said, you know what? I actually feel like I belong in the NFL now, but it took me 10 years being out of the league and going back to the scouting combine to speak at this event. um, You know, that actually made me feel like, wow, I, I really belong now because to be honest with you guys, I really never felt like I belonged my whole time there. It was just overwhelming. I mean, to me, it was like growing up watching all these guys on TV and then being in the same room with them was something that just, it just, it, I just, something I could, couldn't even wrap my head around.
0: Well, I think part of that was the organization you were in with all the great personalities around you. I think if, you know, maybe if you would have ended up with another team that, that you know, wasn't so stacked with coaches and everything, maybe, I don't know, maybe it would have felt a little different to you. I don't know.
2: Maybe I, I think that yeah, because growing up a huge fan of the Washington Redskins, I mean, I used to watch the Redskins Giants. That was the big rivalry in the eighties for the for the two teams. And uh, the go from that to see you know like like being around Parcells was just you know Lawrence Taylor and these guys. I mean, Mark Gastineau was was around you know Jumbo Elliott, all these great <laughs> players. It's just like you know everywhere I looked, it was greatness. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe to your point, maybe if I <laughs> you know maybe yeah. if I was on another staff or something, maybe I wouldn't have been as starstruck. You know, being a young guy, in my mid twenties, it was it was just like wow. I, I never, you know, I never quite overcame that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. So, it, this is a ways down the road, but you uh, this whole experience with, with the Browns, and you you had a you wrote you wrote a letter to, to Jimmy Haslam to to talk about the the GM job based on based on a dream you had. And you uh, and and this all ends up happening. And I mean, you you put a lot of energy and and time into this. So uh, it kind of kind of explain this situation for us. And then I know Rachel's got a question that she'll kind of squeeze in here at the appropriate time uh, for you as you're talking about the the Brown situation. I know our listeners want to hear about this and how how things went. Definitely. and your, and your discussion, you know, your communication with Jimmy Haslam.
2: Absolutely. It was amazing because, um, you know, something that I haven't released, I'm working on my next book actually called the dream, uh, which is, which is, it's going to be all about this, this, this exactly what we're talking about here, uh, which is the true story of of two fans, my wife, Samantha and I uh, in our journey uh, to become the co-general managers of, of the Cleveland Browns. So it was myself and my wife, Samantha, and which would have made her the first female GM in NFL history as well. And so so I, anyway, so it starts out, you know, and i had gone through, a, you know, I mean, it just seems to be like a roller coaster of events. You know, we talk about the Jets. I lost my daughter, lost my first marriage. You know, everything fell to pieces. Um, you know, it was during that time I, I came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ during that time when I was in New York. I had an amazing Holy Spirit experience filled with the spirit, we're back to Minnesota, where I met my second wife, Christina, and we, and she kept encouraging me that, you know, you need to write a book about your experience. so it took me 10 years to write my whatever it takes book, and then, um, and then my my youngest son, Isaiah James, one morning, he wakes up, he has a a grand mal seizure, had to be rushed to the hospital, and and, uh, turned out that, you know, the doctor walked in the room and said, you know, this is probably about 2012, he said, you know, your son, he was about two years old. I uh, said, you know, your son has not one but three rare conditions. Uh, the first one is, you know, there's no connection between the two sides of his brain in the back of his head. Uh, third thing is we, we found a brain tumor. And and, you know, after I'd you know, just gone through cancer with my first daughter, all of a sudden now I'm confronted with my youngest son having, you know, two different moms, two different kids, um, you know, having a tumor. And uh, and so went through a, you know 350 seizures with him, uh, two major brain surgeries, um, and then he got you know basically got cured. There was a tremendous journey. Um, and then all of a sudden, 2013, I came home one day to a John letter, and my 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 wife at the time, my second wife, all four kids, and left. Um, huh. You know, so so, yeah, so that was you know I I got sacked so to speak, <laughs> and, and uh, you know and so I I went into a personal tailspin. Um, you know, really, um, after I, you know, after that happened, and um, you know, came closer to giving up than I've ever come in my life. Came closer to giving up hope than I ever come in my life. And I met, um, you know, I went through another divorce, and um, you know, I, I had preached at a number of churches in Phoenix, Arizona, and and one of the churches I preached at, I met my current wife, Samantha. You know, and so I went through the divorce, everything. We started dating, and, and we would sit in restaurants, and she would tell me, you know, three things you're really passionate about, me. Uh, God in football, and you know, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I I don't know, you know, about the football thing, been there, done that. I, I don't know. She goes, no, you got to pursue it. So she kept, you know, gently, subtly pursuing, you know, uh, me to pursue this. And so, you know, 2000, you know, 15, 16, and then so we're here, at right, right, Rod, right, and and, right, and one night, to your point, God, I have this amazing dream, and in this dream, I'm the uh, the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. And, and the dream is as real as watching television. It's different than most dreams. It's the only way I can explain it. And and I was, I was in this dream. I was the GM of the Browns, and I wake up, and the Holy Spirit of God says to me, um, uh, write a card to the owner of the Cleveland Browns and tell him you can put together a Hall of Fame staff within three weeks of given the opportunity and tell him that, you know, send him a copy of your book, whatever it takes. I mean, it was, it was the voice of God is the only way to describe it's the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, I turned to my wife, Samantha, and said, you won't believe what I just, you know, my dream. I started telling about, well, so we got to send out the card, write it up, send the book. So we did. We FedExed it out. And let me tell you guys something. I mean, getting a letter a card to these guys is like, is like uh, climbing Mount Everest.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, we know.
2: <laughs> you guys know, absolutely. It's an act of God. I'm- I mean this is stuff that is for good enough or strong enough or anything else to orchestrate this stuff. I mean this guy's a billionaire right? it's almost impossible these guys are so well insulated. So you know I, I send out this card and I said, you know what, this man we were both working in a sales organization. Phoenix, Arizona. I said, you know what? Let's just send it off. We went to FedEx, sent it off. It didn't take any more of it. Well, we went to our first anniversary trip to West, came back to Arizona at the time, and uh, you know, my wife's going through the mail in the in the uh, kitchen, and she goes, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh!" And, and I said, "What? What? What? What is it? You know, I'm I'm thinking, what came in the mail now? <laughs> you know, and she yeah. holds up this letter, right? I, I'm thinking it's a bill, right? No, but she holds up this letter, and, and and it's it's a it's a Cleveland Browns envelope. And it's a small envelope. And, and, and I, I look at it, and, and we called our kids that we had uh, downstairs, um, favorite kids that, that I'm a stepdad to. And, and I said, you know, let's let's all let's all gather around here because we're trying to encourage them to, to, to live by faith more, and, and, and your dreams are possible, and all that good stuff. And so I open up this letter, and, and sure enough, Jimmy has on personal stationery, and, and it says something to the effect I sent the letter to you guys. But just paraphrasing, you know, it says, you know, thank you so much for your, I'm just going by memory. Uh, Thank you so much for your book, whatever it takes, Uh, you know, know, kind of talking to that. And and, and he said in the letter, you know, if you you have the time, um, you know, please send me your ideas. I would love to take a look at them and and sign it by, you know, it's handwritten, you know, signed Jimmy.
1: Yeah, I'm actually looking at the letter right now. And at the end, the last paragraph, it says, if you have the time, please feel free to write me another letter with your ideas. I look forward to taking a look at them. Sincerely, Jimmy.
2: <laughs> hey, Crazy. that's all I need to hear. <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: it's like, yeah, I'd be like, I am on that because I've had plenty of letters I want to send to him.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I'm
1: just
2: saying. But not because
0: you wanted the GM job.
2: No. <laughs> yeah, I can feel that right. I can feel that coming over the stairway.
1: That's funny. That's but, so but, awesome, though. That is really cool.
2: Yeah, it was super cool. And so when I got that letter, you know, I was like, you know, I, I, I you know, and it was crazy because when my wife, Samantha, and I, we were living in Arizona, like I said, at the time, and we started getting confirmation after confirmation, like, what would have happened? They would just point to this brown shop. For example, we went on Priceline. We used to go on these weekend stay vacations in like Scottsdale, Arizona, and we just randomly picked a hotel because it was a good deal. And we ended up there at this, this thing called the Three Palms uh, Resort in, in Scottsdale, if you look it up. And the whole color scheme of the resort is brown and orange.
1: Oh, wow!
2: <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second here. You know, this is a little too strange. The whole our whole room was brown and orange right after this happens. Yeah, you know, that is so weird. It is, and we started seeing like I, I saw it, there was like 10:30 at night. We had a grocery store that was closing, and a man walked right in front of our vehicle wearing a Cleveland Browns T-shirt, pushing a cart. You know, it, it oh, was oh, come it, on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's right in Arizona. I mean, I mean, this is like you know, this is like it was, it was wild. So, so We're I everywhere. The, Yeah, absolutely everywhere. Well, I know that now, but I started. Seeing, <laughs> I started seeing Browns more and more and more, and, and and you know, I started looking into it more. And so, what I did, guys, is I I I, I went for it. You know, waved the punter off the field. I went for him, and and I ended up putting together a 166 page proposal, a general manager proposal. That would have my wife, Samantha, and I running the Cleveland Browns together. And I I started my proposal by saying, you know, dear Mr. Haslam, either, you know, I, I said the Browns will win the Super Bowl this year if you bring us in. I said, now either I'm clinically and utterly insane or I'm about to become the greatest architect of the greatest team in National Football League history. It's really up to you to decide as you read through these pages. So I put this whole proposal together. I, I had the opening press conference scripted out. I had the first, you know, the, the first meeting with the team scripted. Out. I wrote it all out. I put together 166 pages of revolutionary ideas that nobody in the NFL history has ever seen or ever done. And I told him, I said, "Greatness is is really about doing something different. That's what greatness is defined as is is, is finding the ability to do something different."
1: Yeah, I can I I understand that completely different. because. Yeah, we're all about different here in Cleveland. We don't always do the same thing, you know, the same way or do anything that's particularly normal, quote unquote. Now, do you think because of that 166 page uh, proposal that you sent was almost a too thorough of a job? And that was part of the reason why you probably didn't get it?
2: That that I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know, Rachel, the Only Mr. Haslam or Mrs. Haslam could answer that question. Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know how they interpreted the information once they received it. Uh, I don't know.
1: I think it's interesting, though, because you would think at that point in time, you know, that they would have taken any and all ideas in regards to how to run the team or who to run it with, especially with, you know, what ended up happening.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, they did take my idea about having the Browns on hard knocks. I had that idea in there, too.
1: (laughs) That's fantastic. That was
2: great.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if if you saw any of your ideas uh, used.
2: Yeah, a- that, absolutely. That's one of them I saw used. You know, so it, it was just interesting. Um, you know, how it all played out.
0: Yeah. So um, you've uh, so you you have a desire to get back into football, obviously, whether it's as a GM, I think, or or other roles, right? Absolutely. So. Tell, tell me this, when I've seen other guys like, uh, I'm trying to think who, um, uh, Mike McCarthy, for example. He was, uh-huh. he was out of football for, for a season or two, and, and there was word that he had a staff together. And he was working very hard, you know, studying and getting this plan together and all this. From what I saw, you you right now are not. Um, well, none of us are watching football, but, <laughs> unfortunately. But um,
1: thanks for all reminding the us, Rod. Yeah, I think you said.
0: I think you said that you said that, um, that you don't watch a lot because because it's kind of painful, um, you know, because you feel like you should be working in this field, which I which I understand. And you say that you, I think you, from my interpretation, is that you feel like your ability is kind of a god-given ability versus something that you've that you've learned and need to study all the time. So my question is, do you feel like like you could step in to a position at this point in the NFL versus guys who are out of football and are trying to keep up with things. If I'm making any sense
2: you are Rod. Absolutely, I'm right to step in. I mean, you know, it, it is a God given thing. Everything that's happened in my life, my life verse is Proverbs sixteen nine. In his heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord orders his steps. Everything I've done in the NFL or been around the NFL has come as, as an unexpected, almost like I had to get all the way for it to happen type of thing. Whether you're talking about the Tony Dungy thing, where all of a sudden I just happened to hear this thing on on you know on the radio. Whether you're talking about the you know. the that's thing, whether you're talking about, you know, the Eagles, I mean, coming face-to-face with Andy Reid in 2012, I almost get hired by them. Whether you're talking about a team with Cleveland Browns. I mean, even last year, check this out, right? So, so last year, I mean, there, there was a, a high probability of a chance I, I could have ended up with the Washington Redskins this last year, um, you know, as a, as a scouter or even a coach in special teams because I'm sitting there, right? I'm sitting there last September in all the blue. And I, my phone goes off. I'm sitting there in my boxers, right, not to give you guys a visual, <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 I'm watching. I'm watching reality TV with the masses, to DM right. I watch the reality TV which he loves on television. My phone goes off by September, and it said seven hundred three seven two six seven thousand. I looking at this, and I recognize the number kind of, and I'm like, Geez, "This is Virginia." And I, so been, I "I get a lot of telemarketing calls and you know stuff like that." I answer it, and all of a sudden he says, "Daniel," and I said, "Yes," and he goes, "He goes, good morning." He goes, Bruce Allen, president of the Washington Redskins. How are you doing today? and i i i spring out of bed like 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 you know i i put on speakerphone and i'm looking at my wife and she puts it on mute the tv and i'm looking at the phone i'm looking at her i'm thinking is this a prank from one of my buddies like like you know like 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 and he says hey listen i just had to call you how are you and i'm like um hey i'm doing well sir how are you doing he says hey i just had to call you he said i i came across your book whatever it takes I couldn't put it down. I read the whole thing cover to cover. And, and oh, my gosh, it's just, just, you know, first of all, how's your health? How are you doing? I'm so sorry about your daughter. And and I just want to have you out here to to talk about what you think we should do. I want to sit down with you and get your ideas. And and I'm thinking about having you come out here and, and sit down. What do you think? And I'm like, holy smokes, this is actually happening. I mean, you know, this has been my childhood dream since I was eight years old to work even with the Redskins. And I'm like, you know, my childhood team, I'm like, this is incredible. So he calls me, actually invites me out for the alumni weekend uh, last October against the 49ers weekend. And, and uh, they, they said, hey, listen, I know, I know, Daniel, you're not an alumni with us, but I'm going to give the alumni package. Uh, we give all our old players, uh, you know, come on out here. You know, we'll get you set up for a suite in the game for the Redskins and Niners. Uh, you know, I want to sit down with you. I want to talk with you. I want to get your ideas. So, so it was just incredible. So I put together all these, you know, like an advanced scout report on the Redskins kind of going over their team. I put together an advanced scout report about a 50, 60, 70 page, you know, report on the Minnesota Vikings who they're going to play after the 49ers and, uh, you know, flew out to Washington for just a, a dream weekend for, for three days. Uh, you know, I got a chance to see all the players I grew up with loving uh, Jay Schrader, Timmy Smith, Ricky Sanders, Gary Clark. I was out there with all the guys. And I had a chance to sit down with Mr. Allen in his hotel suite um, for an hour and a half, and we, um, you know, we 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 talked football, we we talked ball, and uh, you know, he says, you know, four or five times, he says, you know, I I I I love what you're doing, I love the perseverance, I love the passion. It's just a matter of trying to figure out where to put you. He said, I, I, you know, after the season ends, you know, maybe it's something where we bring you in as, you know, with our special teams coach and you work on the coaching side like you did a little bit with the Jets. Maybe I bring you in scouting with Doug Williams and, and Kyle Smith. To sit down and talk with them. And and it was just a great exchange. I mean, it was a great time. It was a great interview. It was a great, you know, a meeting. And, and, and so I went back, you know, after I I went to the game, I had a chance even to walk out in the field with the eighties, the greats of the eighties and and, and at FedEx field on the field before the game. And, and excuse me. and, And I, you know, it was, I ended up back in Arizona, and I did advanced scouting reports for all the Redskins' upcoming opponents for the next, um, you know, eight games. And I'm thinking, I'm we're going out to Washington. We think we're moving off to Virginia. This is it. This is happening. And uh, you know, all of a sudden, my wife picks her up from Black Monday Samantha. She goes, Oh, oh, geez, oh no! And and she, I thought somebody died. And 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 she hands me the phone, and it's a, it's a statement from Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins. Uh, saying that they had dismissed Bruce Allen. And I was just I was just heartbroken. Oh, I mean, uh,
0: yeah. it,
2: it was literally like ending up on the one-yard line at the Super Bowl, and, and the clock expired.
1: We've yeah. been there. Well, not the Super Bowl, but, you know.
0: Well, yeah.
2: <laughs> not quite the Super Bowl. I remember. I remember I all saying. the games <laughs> with the Broncos and Marty Schoenheimer and the whole thing. I remember all of it. I'm
0: sorry. Never
1: happened. Never happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Daniel, it's it's been great, uh, great talking with we, you. We've been uh, going for quite a while here. I want to uh, first of all give you a chance to tell everybody about the book and where they can find it, how they can order it, and so forth.
2: Absolutely, thank you, Rod, for that opportunity. Yeah, the name of the book is Whatever It Takes: uh, The True Story of a Fan Making the NFL. That that's my story. That's my journey. Uh, my book website is Whatever It Takes. Book.com. That gives a little bit more background to, to, to people who are interested. It has a little kind of a cool sound clip on there about my background. Uh, the book is available in 11 different countries uh, around the world. Uh, it can be found on, on Amazon. It's probably the most popular. It can be found at barnesandnoble.com. Uh, it can be available, found anywhere books are sold online. from uh, me setting it from the Super Bowl trophy from the Jets, the so Super Bowl three, we'll you name it. The Super Bowl that he won, I mean, the name is on the front cover. But that Super Bowl trophy, so it says "Whatever it takes," and uh, it was really the most challenging project of my life. And, and I just, I really pray that that you know, if you get this book, I, I pray that it's, it's not just about reading about me and hey, look at me and look at my story. It's wonderful. It's really about you, the listener. It's really about you. If you get this book. It's really about whoever reads it or you guys, you know, Rod, Rod or Rachel even or anybody, in your family or friends. It's, it's about, you know, inspiring you to, to hopefully to your dream, because one thing I've learned is that anything is possible. The word impossible is just a word in the dictionary, and if I can make it, you know, to work with the best staff in NFL history at the New York Jets. I mean, I was so bad at playing football; I was the only kid on my team not to get a letter jacket because I didn't have enough playing time in high school. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, if if I can make it, if if I can do it, you can do it. And my prayer is, is that this book, if you if you happen to get it, this book is something where it, it can help inspire you to whatever your dream is. And believe me. Whatever the dream you've been given, it is possible. It can happen. I mean, it's a matter of just pressing forward into it. and going.
0: Yeah, and that's available at Daniel Kelly book on Twitter as well. All that information. So you can uh, catch up with Daniel there. Um, I want to thank uh, Rachel Shepard for joining me once again. We'll have to do this again sooner next time, Rachel.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Daniel, it's been great talking to you. We're going to close out for tonight, and thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time.